So we're in a series on the Psalms, just such precious material in the Psalms, such good reminders that it's okay to be human, it's okay to have highs and lows in our emotions, and God can handle it all. The Psalms leave us this beautiful example to come to God, to seek Him, to be with Him in every season and situation of life. When you're full of faith and full of praise and full of thanks, be with God, talk to him about it. When you're in that low place where you're like, what is, where's the justice? Where are you, God? What's going on with the world in my life? And everywhere in between, you find it in the Psalms. This morning, we're going to look at a Psalm that gives us wisdom and direction and, and testimony, beautiful example of how to keep our hearts healthy in the midst of battling evil. We have looked at David's response to his enemies, in particular when they're battling specifically against him. And then we took that forward into the, the New Testament and saw Jesus' response to enemies. A beautiful example from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., how to love your enemies, following in Jesus' footsteps. But this morning I want to take it in a little bit different angle, which is right there in the Psalms, 37 and 73. It's not as specific against when someone is doing evil against you in particular. It's more when you're in the battle and you see evil all around you. How do you keep your heart healthy in that long-term battle against evil? An important context to remember in these Psalms 37 and 73, and really as you read the entire Bible, there is an underlying assumption. And then many times in God's word it's made explicit. But the assumption is that we are born into a spiritual war between good and evil, between light and darkness, between truth and lies between the kingdom of God advancing against the enemy and, as Jesus said, pillaging, binding up the strong man and taking back what the enemy stole. That's the whole underlying foundational assumption of the Bible. So David and the other writers of the Psalms, they're writing from the middle of the battle. You can see them as letters from the front line of war. They have dedicated their lives to following God, to seeking God, to knowing God. And an absolute key part of that is knowing your role in God's army. Knowing the gifts you have. Knowing the position God has put you. Knowing your sphere of influence. And then partnering with God to take action to see his kingdom advance. So these psalms are meant to be read in that context and how to keep our hearts healthy for the long term of doing battle against evil and taking action with God. These Psalms actually really don't make sense in a lot of ways if, if you don't see that as the context. It's just like Psalm 23 that we looked at last week. It's, 
That psalm is not just a, you know, a fluffy little pillow psalm about living a life of ease and comfort where we lay down with God by the river. That's true, but it's meant to be in the middle of the battle as the enemy is facing you, surrounding you, attacking you, and what God wants to do to shepherd you in the midst of that. So as we each today... Like David, we're individuals that have callings on our lives. This is a church that is not for those who want to be passive with their identity in Christ or passive in their, in their calling to be a part of God's army to see the kingdom of God advance. And so I know that many of you are, have a real clarity and we're always about increasing that clarity. And sometimes in seasons, it, the sphere of influence that God gives us changes. But we're all about saying, God, okay, as a child of yours now, you filled me with the Spirit for the purpose of being on mission with you to get in the battle, to find that sphere of influence that's passionate on our hearts. And, and sometimes the, the, the way you know where you're meant to, to serve, to lead, to, to fight is is when you see evil and it really bothers you. When, when something that you read about or you hear about, and, and in our world today, man, it, there's in some ways a good thing that nothing is seeming to be hidden or, or what, is try, what tries to stay hidden. The evil that tries to stay hidden is more and more being exposed. That's a good thing. And we read about these things that go on in our world, some close, some far, and, and man, it gets your blood boiling of that is just wrong. That is evil. That is an injustice. That is not okay. That is against the heart of God. And whether it's right here in your, in your own backyard, in your neighborhood, or even within your own family, things, generational things that you know God wants to, to free your family from, or whether it's across the world and you're called to serve, whatever the, the scope of it is, that doesn't matter. We always, doesn't matter in the sense of, as we read these psalms, there's an application that I believe God wants to bring. As we read these psalms, we want to challenge you to think of your own life. Think of your context and where God has passionately created you and called you to fit in, in his battle against evil, in his desire to see his kingdom come and transform and heal, and save, and set free. And in the context of your own life, hear these psalms and be asking the question, what do these psalms say about keeping my heart healthy in the battle against evil? Because if you've battled evil for long, if you've taken up that mantle of being a soldier in God's army, you know it can get weary. You know where there's days that are discouraging. There's days where you just kind of want to quit. You just want to say, oh, oh, this is hard. This isn't as effective as I wanted. I'm ready for Jesus just to come back today. I mean, we should all be ready, but not because we just want to quit. So let's check out these psalms. How do we keep our hearts healthy in the midst of battling against evil? So a little context here. These are long psalms, and so I'm going to do something I don't normally do, which is just kind of read a few verses at a time and uh, 
not take the time to do the 80 plus verses that this is today. But Psalm 37 and 73, very, very rich. One psalm is of David, and then another is of Asaph or Asaph, I'm not sure how you pronounce that. Essentially, you could see a, a disciple of David, a protege of David, part of the sons of Korah that David appointed a Levite, a worshiper. So an additional worship leader for the people of Israel. So David wrote songs, he led worship, and he appointed, I think it was 280 Levites, I might be wrong on that, to join with him in being worship leaders for the people of Israel. So this Psalm 73 is a psalm written by one of those worship leaders. So Psalm 37, 1, the, the context just starts. I'm going to start with just one verse. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. That says a lot about what's going on in David's mind right there. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. He's talking to himself. <laughs> this is a prayer. And this is that healthy, within prayer, authentic, talking to yourself. Like he says, you know, sometimes, soul, why are you disquieted within me? You're not crazy if you talk to yourself. It's actually a healthy part of taking every thought captive. Because sometimes your mind and where your heart and your emotions are going is like, hey, wait a minute, I don't want to go there. And you got to get yourself in line. you got to take every thought captive. So David is saying, fret not yourself because of evildoers. This started as a, as a psalm, a prayer, that he's praying about his own life because he's fretting about the evil that he sees going on in the world. And so he's going to pray about it. Wait a second, that's, that's not the response. That's not the best response I could bring to the evil that I see in the world. A little context there, and then Psalm 73. I'm going to read verses 1 to 12. The context here, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and they speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. And therefore his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at increase in riches. So the psalm of Asaph here is he's looking out at the perceived success, power, prosperity of wickedness and evil, saying from his perception, from what he's seeing in life, and man, the evil ones are flourishing. They're even mocking God, saying God's not even going to know what we're doing. They scoff about, they threaten oppression. They're even turning God's people astray, he says. That's verse 10. Therefore his people turn to them and find no fault in them. So 
God's people are even swayed looking at the, the quote-unquote success of evil and tempted to say, hey, that looks like a pretty good way. And so the psalm here is lamenting the apparent success of evil. So when you see in your life the apparent succeeding of evil, and when you look around, it, it's not hard to find things that it's like, that is evil. That is clearly against God's heart. And it hurts to see. So when that happens, and you know it's wrong, how are you battling to keep your heart healthy? So I want to go back into these Psalms and just look at three truths to focus on. Three truths to focus on that keep our hearts fighting the good fight. Keep Keep us healthy for the long run. One thing we see in both of these psalms is that they constantly, and you see it actually throughout all of the psalms and in some ways throughout the whole Bible, at times it's important to focus on the big picture, to step back from the, the moment where you're focused on your battle and how evil seems to be flourishing in it. You're not seeing the the fullness of the kingdom of God come yet and overwhelm and transform and bring justice and salvation and healing. You're fighting for it, but you're getting weary. So you step back, you look at the big picture, and you remember that God wins. And there's no question. There's no question. So let's look at verse... 1 and 2 in Psalm 37. Watch, watch how the psalmist does this. This is just such, this is David. This is just such good, exemplary, authentic relationship with God. He's fretting. He's weary. He's worried about evil and evildoers. And it's, it's, it's bringing down his heart health. It's bringing down his emotional strength. So what does he do? Watch. Verse 1. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. Verse 2, right here. Here's his first tactic. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. And then verse 9. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundance. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But, this is a cool verse, but the Lord laughs at the wicked. For he sees that his day is coming. And then verse 20. And the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are, are like the glories of the pastures. They vanish. Like smoke, they will vanish away. And then Psalm 73. Asaph does the same thing. Verse 18. As he's lamenting this, and he does this long lament of the apparent success of evil and evildoers. And then he says, in verse 18, after getting his head right by talking to God, he says, but... Truly, you set them in slippery places. 
you make them fall to ruin. Oh, how they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakes. Oh, Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. And then verse 27, for behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. This is very, very strong language. This is against the unrepentant evildoer who brings straight up oppression and injustice onto the world. And these warriors of God, these men of God who've put themselves into the fight to help themselves not give up, they write prayers about this truth. That in the, big, in the big picture, we need to remember that God always wins. That language, that evil and the evildoer will fade, will wither, be cut off, be no more, perish, vanish. The Lord himself puts them on slippery places to make them fall to ruin. They will be destroyed, swept away, disappearing like a ghost. When we see evil in the world, and when we do our part to battle evil, and sometimes it's good for the soul to step back and remember that big picture. And this is a repeated, a repeated theme. And once you see it, then you read other Psalms, and it's like, wow, throughout the Psalms, this is for a reason. Because sometimes to keep our heart healthy in the middle of the fight, we need to remember God always wins. And we know far more than David and Asaph did. We've seen the end of the story. We have the book of Revelation. We've seen Jesus come, God incarnate, come into the earth, battle the forces of the evil, go resurrect from the dead, pass on his spirit, Say, death can't hold me. Evil can't hold me. I win. It's just a matter of time before the whole world sees it and the book of Revelation comes to pass. And so it's good. It's good to have that as part of our focus at times to encourage us that God always wins. If even King David needs it, then put yourself in that place and say, it's okay. If that's part of what you need, and it is part of what you need, to keep fighting the good fight, to bask in this good truth. And number two, what we see David and Asaph doing here to keep their hearts healthy is that they seek to be with God in the middle of the battle. Now, at first, this is counterintuitive, but it actually is one of the, the Bible's, you know, not hidden secrets, if you will, to success in life. This is Psalm 23 from last week. How do you fellowship with God in the middle of the battle? Those things seem different, but Psalm 23 is, is probably the, the best one, I know, to, to walk that tension. Of 
You're in the middle of a battle. Your enemy has surrounded you, and yet God says, come, be with me. And so it's about this, the inner world. Where is our heart, mind, and spirit in the middle of the battle? Have we done that typical thing where we start to do things on our own strength? Or are are we, and do we know how to stay super close so that in the spirit, we're allowing God to help us lie down in his green pastures and lay beside still waters, and we're sitting down at the table he's prepared, so he's feeding us, and then his spirit is so filling us up that we're overflowing. What's the point of overflowing? So that you can see the enemy that's right there surrounding you, and you can say, thanks, God, let's, let's battle. Because <laughs> I've got overflow. I've got good fruit to spare. I've got hope, passion, power, faith, love. I've got the truth of who God is. I'm filled up afresh. And that's, that's Psalm 23, and you see it right here again. It's, at first, it's just weird. It's like they're talking about battles. Why are they talking about just going and being with God? Because if you want to succeed in the battle, you're going to do it from a place of being with God. So Psalm 73, verse 23, right in the middle of this hard psalm about evil succeeding. What does he do? Psalm 73, verse 23. He makes this declaration. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. I mean, that right there. To be able to have that mindset in the middle of battle. You're battling. You're fighting against evil. You're fighting the good fight. You know your purpose and calling. And yet there's this clear part of you that says, God, there's nothing in heaven and earth that I want more than to be with you right now. My flesh and my heart may fail, verse 26, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Down to verse 28. For me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord my God my refuge in order that I may tell of all your works. He's in the middle of lamenting the presence of evil in the world. And what does he, and so what is this? What is this just powerful, lover-like language of God satisfies my soul? What does that have to do with the situation battling evil? Everything. If you want to keep your for the long haul, then do what David says in Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. These are the psalmists preaching to themselves first about how to deal with seeing a bunch of evil. 
They focus on connecting with God. Relishing the treasure that they have in God. So that like Psalm 23, it will fill them up another day to get back out and fight the good fight. So you keep your heart healthy for battle by staying intimately connected in that place of fellowship with God. And lastly, the psalmists both model for us that in order to keep your heart healthy, to do battle, you have to constantly take captive and assess and reassess and be clear that you do your part and let God do God's part. One of the biggest sources of stress in life is when we try to carry a load that's meant for God. It's a constant battle. I don't know why. It's so easy, but it is. And everything, from the small to the big, to just the daily, like, at home with family, being a husband, being a father, to all the way up to whatever other spheres of influence. That's such a battle right there is just, what's my part? And what's God's part? And sometimes it's just, it's so easy to just be like, I'm going to try to control it all. I'm going to try to do it all. And then when you're tired and frustrated and it's not effective, that's a good indicator. You've tried to take on God's part. And we see that right in here. Verse 1, in some ways, I, I think that's what Psalm 37 is mostly about. David's catching himself as he's looked out upon evil. It's got him down. It's got him weary. He's catching himself saying, oh yeah, wait a second. God, I'm trying to do your part. And I don't do a very good job with that. And it's not good for my soul. Check it out. Verse 1, fret not yourself. Fret not. There's the theme of the psalm. He's fretting. Why? Because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. So we've heard that. What else? Trust in the Lord. That's his part. That's what he needs to do. Because he's kind of not, if you will. That's what he's saying. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. That's what he needs to do. Just be faithful. Be faithful with what God's called you to do. I remember having a mentor say that. Success in ministry is simply hearing the voice of God and being faithful to what he's called you to do today. The results are up to God. I think David's saying the same thing. Talking to himself. I need to trust the Lord. I just need to do good. What's my part? Befriend faithfulness. That's a cool. I need to be the friend of faithfulness. I just need to make good friends with just being faithful. What's God calling me to do today? What's my part today? Goes on in verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. There's your part. Trust in him. That's your part. And he will act. Okay, now we're getting to God's part. 
He will bring forth your righteousness as the light. He will bring forth your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord. There's your part. Wait patiently for him. That's really hard. <laughs> Fret not yourself. But that, that's kind of it right there. Wait patiently for him. You do your part. Let him do his part. There is an ability we have to not wait patiently for him, to get ahead of him, to try to do his part, to try to do what we think he should be doing right now. Lord, this is your will, so I'm going to help you out and do it right now. Wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way over the man who carries out evil devices refrain from anger and forsake wrath fret not yourself it tends only to evil so real quick here just sometimes it's cool to make contrast in scripture from these eight verses let's contrast your part my part and god's part your part trust him do good Befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord. That's the stay connected. Commit your way to the Lord. Be still. Wait patiently. And what's his part? He will give you the desires of your heart. He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness. He will bring forth your light as the, and the justice as bright as the noonday. Your part? God's part. When we get those things messed up, it's not good for the soul. <laughs> it doesn't work well. I mean, one thing that David is hammering in this one to himself primarily, and we can relate and learn from it, fretting is not your job. Fretting probably means that you have taken on some of God's responsibilities. Verse 1, or 7, I mean. Well, verse 1 says, fret not yourself. But then verse 7, listen to this. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger. Forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. You're seeing this, this contrast of your load versus God's, your responsibility versus God's, and fretting means, that's a good indicator, that you're taking too much of the, re, of the emotional load, that you're actually trying to do God's job. And when you do God's job or try, it just puts you in a bad place. It's not effective. Listen to what it says. Fret not yourself. It only tends to evil. That's not a good thing. <laughs> That's not being an effective warrior for God. That's not doing the battle in the way God's desiring us to do battle. If we've fretted, now we're angry, we're taking up wrath, we're taking up God's justice, we're trying to do it ourselves, we're not waiting, we're not patient, He's not the one powering it, and now we're evil. Wow. That's not only saying that's not good for you. It's saying 
If you do that and you take on God's part, it tends to evil. That's like, wow. Well, that's the opposite of my goal here, God. (laughs) My goal is to be a part of seeing your kingdom advance. So David uses strong language on himself first. And it's just such a good litmus test. Are we fretting? That's like that, that control where we're, we're anxious, we're angry, we want the outcome, but it's a control. And so it's, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make it happen. Versus be still, delight in the Lord, wait for him. Very interesting. And right along with that, I'm going to jump to Psalm 73. There's a close connection with fretting and trying to figure it all out. In verse 16 of of 73, after Asaph has lamented the evildoers who seem to be flourishing, he says this in verse 16, very similar to David catching himself, saying, ah, stop fretting. It's not my job. Verse 16. But when I thought how to understand all this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. You see what's happening there? When I look upon evil and I see it flourishing and I see oppression and injustice, if I try to understand all this, I'll put a parenthesis in, on my own strength, it seems wearisome. So that's a good indicator. When you're in the battle and you're fighting the good fight, if there's a weariness coming upon you, there's a good chance that you're trying to figure out how to fix it and combat it and go against it in the way and the timing and the method on your own strength. And 17 says there's a better way. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned therein. It's the same answer. It's back to number two. That fellowship with God, that being with God in the midst of the battle changes everything. It changes our perspective. It changes the fruit that's going to come out of us. It changes the posture of our soul to where we can see from God's perspective and we can know our role again. We can discern the difference between God's part and our part, so that we're able to patiently wait for him while still acting, while still doing good, while still being faithful. There's a real tension here. Waiting is not doing nothing at all. In the same Psalm 37 that says wait is also saying do good, be faithful. But check out these these calls to wait. In verse 7 of Psalm 37, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Then verse 9, those who wait for the Lord will inherit the land. Then verse 34, wait for the Lord and keep his 
ways. That's action. And he will exalt you to inherit the land. So is this like, oh, we've just made peace with evil and now we've become complacent and passive and we stop doing stuff? Absolutely not. This is about the inner heart posture that just says, I know I'm not all powerful. I know I'm a part in God's army. And so to keep my heart clear, to keep me fighting the good fight, I need to know and discern what is God's part, what is my part, and there's freedom in that to be able to keep doing good, keep being faithful, but on the inside, keep acting, but on the inside, my heart posture is delighting in the Lord, still before the Lord, waiting for the Lord, for Him to do what only He can do. And that's, that's a tension of being a good soldier. Let's pray, and I want to do a couple things in prayer. So join me right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to ask that your Holy Spirit would speak right now as we've looked at your word, as we've looked at these authentic examples of relationship with you, of warriors that are in the fight, and they show us that some, some of the ways to keep our heart healthy are to remember the big picture that you win, to continue to seek you, seek your presence, be refreshed by you in the middle of it, and to seek that discernment to know the difference between our part and yours. I ask Holy Spirit right now that you would speak to every person in this moment, those that are here inside, those that are here outside, and those that are watching with us on the live stream. We ask, Holy Spirit, would you speak to us about our life, about our spheres of influence, where you've called us to have a fiery fire in that belly against evil? And would you speak to us today about that situation? What do you want to say, Lord, to keep our hearts healthy as we seek to fight to see your kingdom advanced? Holy Spirit, would you speak to your children right now? As the Lord uh, speaks, just begin to encourage you to pray. Pray pray into it. Tell the Lord you want to receive it. Make that declaration of how you're going to act. Pray over that situation of evil right now. Let's just, just with your, quietly right now to yourself here, let's just trust there's a concert of prayer going up to see God's kingdom advance. All right, in that, prayer, in that same posture of prayer and receiving, my wife's going to share a word with us as we close. This is short and sweet. Just along the lines of wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. It's an interesting translation, the second verse, but wait for the Lord and keep his way. Wait for the Lord and keep his way. Um, while we were sitting here, 
I just felt like, you know, from a Snow White where the, um, the dwarfs, they sing, we whistle while we work. Isn't that what that, that's from, you know? <laughs> we whistle while we work. Um, I felt the Lord say to that tune, we worship while we wait. And so I just want to throw out that just as an active word of God that I just, I really just have a sense of the power of God, um, his presence like, like a cloud around us and like fire around us, like, like, you know, he was around his people Israel and we are his people. And I feel like there's just, there's a fire and there's a cloud of his presence. And while we worship, while we wait, as we are contending for seeing his kingdom break through in so many different areas, both in our um, personal lives and then, you know, nationally with what's going on in our nation right now and then internationally with what's going on with our world. As we contend for that, I just want to encourage us to worship while we wait because I just sense and see the picture of the fire and the cloud. And as we, as we worship, the breath out of our mouth as we worship, it, the, the cloud and the fire just spread and he moves among us, and his kingdom is furthering. Um, yeah, I, I felt like the words were just super, super simple and super clear, and just an encouragement to keep holding his hand, to keep saying yes to him, to keep taking those steps of obedience that he gives to us, because it's not just about, you know, laying there and doing nothing. We posture our hearts in a way that we are receiving from him, and we're worshiping, and we're declaring, and we are... Um, just saying yes to his promises, but there are also action steps that he give, gives us. And sometimes, depending on the situation, it is just worship. But regardless of how many action steps we have, there will always be worship, and there should always be worship. And so I just want to um, encourage us, and I want to say a quick prayer over us along those lines. God, we thank you that you are King of Kings, and you are Lord of Lords. We thank you that you are on the throne we thank you that you defeated the enemy on the cross, and we thank you that the enemy is under our feet. And so, God, I just declare over this church body and over our community and over this nation that the enemy is under our feet. And God, as we declare your words and an uprising of your truth, your victory, your power, and a transformation of our world's to look like your kingdom, a building up of your kingdom, a restoration from what the enemy has taken away, a restoration sevenfolds, sevenfolds what has been taken away, stolen away gradually or quickly, whatever it is. God, we thank you for your kingdom. We thank you that as we stand right now and as we worship while we wait, we thank you that we will see your wonders. Almighty Lord of Lords, Almighty King of Kings, we worship you, Abba Daddy. We thank you for what you purchased on the cross. We thank you that we can call you Daddy. We thank you that you are a Daddy and that you are a God and you are a good 
Father. So we wait with anticipation and with worship, and we sing with worship in front of the enemy, and we believe that that fire is just burning him out and chasing him out of our house. We thank you, Lord, and the fire that is burning is the fire of the King of Kings. (laughs) God, you are so good. Teach us to walk with you. Teach us to dance with you. Teach us more and more each day of what it looks like to be consumed with you, to partner with you, to live with you, and to live in the childlike joy of just saying yes to you as we walk in the, in the steps that you lead us to in obedience. So God, we just, I just thank you for the wall of fire that is moving out, and I thank you for the cloud of your presence as well that is taking over our atmosphere, our worlds, and the environment specifically around us. And I thank you, God, that next week that we're all going to have testimonies of your amazing faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.